Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for about. Mortgage Matters. Good morning, everyone. There we go. I'm on. Good morning. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. It's a drizzly little day out there. Great day for radio. It's a great day. <laughs> Any day is a great day for the Mortgage Matters show. Let's put it that Every way. Day Every day is a great day. day. I mean, you can podcast it right from the website if you want to get exactly. seven days a week of, of a little Mortgage Matters flavor. There We've you got that ready for you. Yeah, we have but a great I, show today, actually, don't we? We do. And I just think the yeah. rain enhances it. It makes it gives you more of an excuse to sit around for a couple of hours and listen to the radio. <laughs> That's right. You can put that honeydew list off for a little bit. <laughs> um, all right. Well, half Did Jason of, have a honeydew list this morning? <laughs> and that's why have. we're kind of stalling for Jason to get in the studio. Half here. of our dynamic duo is here <laughs> on time and ready to go. The what other time does this thing start? <laughs> <laughs> the other half just walked in. Yeah. That's all right, though. All right. We'll get Jason mic'd up here and get him on yeah. there. Last show of <laughs> April. It's uh, it's going to be a good one. I believe we have a guest joining us. Do we have a guest this week? You know, I was nervous that it wasn't... I didn't see the confirmation of it, but I have I was made aware that this is the Tom Bornaro show. Yeah, I'm anticipating that also. So that. By the way, that I didn't have good. a chance to mention yet to either one of you. What? But during the Motor Mouse show, we had somebody calling and say, is this the number to call for Tom Bordenaro when awesome. he comes in? So, I, yes, 543-8830. That's right. Um, we will be taking live calls throughout the two-hour show. We're we'll the, have Tom on for the second hour of the show from 10 to 11. And um, we try to get him on once a year. He is full of info. I mean, he's... he's. Do you have questions ready? <laughs> I yes, yeah, and I know ready. you do, and I know you do. <laughs> hey he's man, he's always cool. a great guest. He's a great interview. He, um, you know, everything we throw at him, he's got in depth answers, and and just he's a wealth of information. So it's great to have him on, and I really appreciate his participation um, on the show here annually. I caught a lot of heat this week for last week's conversation um, when I was arguing about. Oh, home values. Real estate is poised to have radical growth in value. P a lot of disagreement or agreement? Both. Hmm. But the from who? The disagreeers are the one that get fired up. <laughs> Always. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? You know what I realized though is the people that that wanted to disagree and were upset about the sentiment. They felt like the. Um, it means the separation of the classes edges out more and more people and creates such a harder affordability for so many more people that it just becomes more elitist. And I'm like, yeah, I, that, that's it's kind true. of a byproduct <laughs> of it already, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, think about living, owning a single family residence in slow. That's those have already been the rules of engagement. Yeah, I mean it's the, the it's a product of supply and demand. The median house. Well, true, and I mean yeah. you you look at other cities where it's really it's it's really obvious. Like a Carmel, I mean, who works in Carmel that can actually live there? 
Is there even jobs in Carmel? <laughs> I don't <laughs> who, even know. Who, I think they didn't even plan on the people that live there having to work. Who works in Malibu that can live there? Nobody. I mean, no. The people who live there probably aren't working, or they when they do, they're going to a movie set somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're they're not working in the kitchen of the restaurant you like to go to. Yeah. That's not. And and yeah, more and more that is likely going to become the case i think there's a desire to live near the ocean well, and so the higher incomes are going to keep pushing the people with lower incomes out it's, that's right and the you, way it, it goes and you have to figure out how to make a go of it or go get your start somewhere else right, right. and so there are <laughs> attempts to figure out how to navigate that problem and it's it's by creating changing some housing density rules and, and things like that that's a way to try to create affordability but your point and and i think the conclusion that we reached last week is that there are some efforts to create denser housing tracks um, that will be more affordable yeah it's but gonna, what it's going to do is make the existing single family stock become much more desirable and more expensive so right. that that home even on a modest you know 7000 6000 7000 square foot lot which is you know typical for Morro Bay probably small for San Luis small for the North County um, but that size lot with a single family home on it's going to become you know a million plus home if if things continue the way they're going right and in some parts of the county it's already a million plus home so I watched it. I was up late last night. That's not why I'm late, by the way. Me too. I, I was up late, though. And you know what I was doing? Watching baseball. I, I watched. <laughs> that's what led me to the late movie start. We uh, watched Interstellar. Did you see this yet? With Matthew McConaughey. And, I don't know. I didn't. I was thinking Gravity. It's basically the Earth is um, psh, inhospitable or... <laughs> nearing the point of inhospitable and matthew mcconaughey is um heading for uh space to evidently find the next inhabitable planet and nasa's got a pretty good lead on 12 different planets or something it's kind of wild though i saw a political cartoon this week that you'd like was it the one with the water pipe hooked into Mars? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw that, too. <laughs> knew the Earthlings are here and they found liquid water. <laughs> you knew this was inevitable. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So last week we did have a really good conversation, though, and it, it what ended up happening was uh, all of the notes that I had prepared we didn't really use. The, the conversation the stayed, yeah. Yeah. So I thought maybe we could uh, take an opportunity to, to burn through a little bit of that stuff today. We sure can. Um, you, and, know what, you know what else we missed? Huh? The, on Sunday, right after last week's show, we had an article published in the newspaper. Oh? Yeah. About the shifting trends in mortgage finance. Oh, yeah. Um, how the market has really shifted in the last three or so years from a bank-dominated origination environment to a non-bank-dominated, or I wouldn't say dominated, but shifting to a much a stronger non-bank The segment of non-bank lending is growing yeah. quite a bit. In 2000, uh, 2011 and 12, non-banks only comprised about Oh, slightly more than 10% of total market share in mortgage volume. And last year, it was nearly 40% of mortgage volume. So um, quite a quite a change. And there's a variety of reasons um, for why that's happening. Um, some what, of, and what are those? <laughs> there's, there's a few different things. There's service. You know, you, you tend to get better service from a smaller boutique firm, like most non-banks are. 
um, you tend to get a better price from a smaller boutique firm because the <clears throat> overhead costs are generally lower than the the big bank who's in the prime retail spot next to the grocery store or something like that or in the grocery store. They pay a premium rent. They have a whole they have a much different overhead structure than a small shop. Um, and then speeds. Speeds. In fact, you forwarded me an article that was uh, this week that was um, a firm researching needs and wants of realtors. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest things they cited was speed in a transaction um, and variety of product. So there's another another thing. Um, non-banks tend to have a larger variety of product, whereas a big bank only sells what they offer. Um, but then speeds. I think this is the one that really differentiates a non-bank from a bank is speed. There's this nimbleness to a small boutique firm that big ba- big banks are the aircraft carrier. It takes a long time to move move those things, turn them around. And a, a little company like ours, we can turn on a dime. We can make the the Jones loan the priority because it needs. There's a deadline, and it just doesn't work that way in a big bank. Overall. The processing times for for a small firm to get from application to funding is 30 days or less. Um, For a big bank, I'm hearing stories. uh, We recently had to refer a loan to one of the local banks, Rabobank. It took nearly four months for them to complete the under processing and underwriting and approval and funding of that loan. Yeah. I was astonished. I asked the guy, I'm like, was there a problem? No. That's, just it's really slow. We just our turn times are pretty slow. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was wowed by that. I had no idea and, that it took four and you months know what? to get a loan. We don't there. talk about this piece of that a lot, but I I'll tell you, you know they've got to be conservatively priced when they're looking at an average of three to four months to complete a transaction. That's one of the reasons why some of these bank models, because they're slower. I mean, isn't that kind of, you're a secondary guy. Isn't that kind of your Achilles heel as the bank outfit where if you, the the quicker you're in and out of the market, the better. You can lock in what you've got to sell today at today's rate and get it done fast. There's predictability to if a, a shorter term. If a client comes through the door today to say, hey, I really need a loan, and you're well aware it's going to take you four months to do it, you'd better hedge your bet coming out and give a pretty conservative price and know that you're likely to have to give some extensions. Somehow you're going to end up in a point of accommodation where – Ideally, you're not upsetting your client. Um, they're hopefully very patient with the process, but nobody's got time for a long, drawn-out process that costs them more because of the time frame. So, right. and it just in it in a in a very competitive market like we've seen for the last year and a half, two years, three years, things have been competitive when it comes to purchasing homes. There's still about thirty to about thirty percent of buyers are still cash. And they can come in and close in, what, seven days, 10 days, something like that? 10 days. As a buyer who's who needs financing to buy a home, you have to come in with a competitive offer, not only on price, but on speed of closing. Right. The longer that an escrow takes to close, the the more uneasy a seller gets. You know, am I, maybe, maybe I could get $20,000 more because it's four months later. Maybe, but it's that, but it's that uncertainty of whether of, the financing is going to come through or not. Right. So, so most financed offers on homes, just to be competitive, need to be thirty days. I mean, if you're at forty-five days, 
that's not very competitive. You're that may be a problem, even if you are offering the best price for the for that home. Um, buyers, or I'm sorry, sellers want to close in 30 days or less. That seems to be the market norm. Whether that's driven by the actual seller or by the realtors involved, I don't I don't know the answer to that. But that's what the market wants. Well, right and now. I think today, <clears throat> with there being such a limited supply of homes for sale, when you throw one on the market, you better be ready for some activity. You know, I, I mean, and one of the clients that I was talking to this week, a lovely couple from Los Osos, um, they're wanting a, a good slow sale. <laughs> they want to sell their home um, with a longer escrow period and potentially even do a rent back to afford them this maximum potential window of being able to buy a home. Um, and, and truly that's not really the norm. You know, I definitely see contingencies and stuff like that going into offers, but point being, when you put a house on the market today, if it's well-priced, it's selling quick, you better be ready to transact at that point. Um, so we're, we're definitely seeing that go on. And Dan, just to kind of wrap up your point there, what can you do? Um, if you're a buyer that isn't all cash, you're, you're not the lucky duck with $500,000 in the bank that you're just ready to, to, and I get, I, it's hard for me to say this without even rolling my eyes because people are showing up. A third of people are showing up with their $500,000 or more in cash. So first of all, where'd you get that? And secondly, why on earth, when you could get a three-point-something, 30-year fixed, why on earth would you put that money cash into real estate and and just that's that? It just I, Right, when, wrong, or otherwise? You some were people... smart enough to get the money, but then not <laughs> using it very well. Um, and I just, I mean, I realize that some people are just perfectly debt adverse and they just don't want to have to have a payment or whatever. I understand that. Well, and they feel like, you know, I could put my money in the bank and earn less than 1%, or I can put my money in my house and it's appreciating at. But the Five if you pay cash, percent. the house is um, yeah. But the house is appreciating regardless of equity, right? It is. I mean, your house is going to go up or down in value regardless of the the gold bouillon you've stacked in the crawl space. Agreed. So, and to answer your question, what can people do to be <laughs> yeah, competitive? I'm off track. <laughs> in, we do pre-approvals for people where you, as the borrower, all issues are vetted and put to bed. Um, full-blown underwriting approval on your income, your credit, your assets, your ability to repay, everything prior, about you. Prior to finding a you're home. You're not even in the market yet. Your property dress is to be determined. Um, and the only things that we'll have to do for your loan when it's go time is get an appraisal, get a title report, make sure both those are acceptable, obviously a purchase contract. But those things just about the property – so if you're dealing, if I'm a seller and I've got somebody that's full-blown pre-approved um, needing a shorter term, actually, because couldn't you do a 17-day escrow if all you needed was a, a, an appraisal and a prelim? Yeah, and that, that allows the buyer still to have their, their standard 17-day window to review the property and get in, home inspection, inspection do all the thing that you want to do. Yeah, that would be um, a but nice... But yeah, if I'm the seller and I'm looking at this guy... Um, or the cash guy, hey, aren't both of them are going to get an inspection on my house? Both of them are going to get a title report. Both of them are likely to get an appraisal. So at that point, they're both really the same. So in essence, what these sellers are are afraid of is the unknown of the buyer. 
What's the status of the loan with the buyer? How far have you even made it, buyer? Have you even filled out your loan application yet? Or is this like you're friends with the realtor and you're getting a prequal letter morning of the offer you're writing? That's what the seller is upset and worried about and leans towards the cash offer on. So I think if if you're in that position where you have to get a loan, that's the best way to do it. Get fully pre-approved, all of your ducks in a row. Then when you select the property that you're in for, it's a matter of updating some of the disclosures to include the specifics for the property and then going on through the property requirement side of the loan Um what a less stress transaction for everybody when yeah. that's all done that way. Um, and we do that. So that's a service that we offer. If anybody wants to uh, quit getting beat out by those cash offers, that's a great way to do it. Guys. It's not quite the case here, but it's, I mean, we're actually doing this for um, one of my family members who's trying to compete for a, a condominium down in San Diego where something comes on that's priced well and there's immediately in the first weekend 10 offers Dozens. all over value yep. um and it, i mean it's ultra competitive so it's it's not quite that way here but it still it gives you a leg up on the competition yeah no doubt hey it's 9:22, so we are going to do a commercial break right here Let's sneak one in take some time out to thank the sponsors when we get back we'll have more exciting talk on mortgage matters stick with don't us don't go anywhere keep it locked to mortgage matters on kvec news talk 920 to ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. We recently made the jump to direct lender. That's right. Now we can do your loan in-house, but we still broker too. We choose based on getting the best loan terms for you. We don't know what to call it yet, but you'll call it amazing. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Citra Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All 
All right, everybody, welcome back. Ah. Most of the time during the breaks, we have exciting off-air comments and stuff. Um, now we're just trying to figure out headphones and why yeah. they don't work and why they do. Yeah, and whether or not we could have like a vaccine for the Kardashians. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> that's, that's what we That mean. whole thing is so interesting and not at the same I'm time. I'm <laughs> fascinated by the whole setup. I, just, I don't get the whole thing, but, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm actually seeing all so, of that. I'm really thankful that my family is not famous for being famous. So now is Bruce Jenner now the patriarch or the matriarch? You know, I'm not sure. I haven't really been keeping up on all that. I I have to admit I've seen some stuff in the grocery store line that makes me kind of wonder what's for publicity anymore yeah. and what's not. I don't really know. Yeah, you got I understand there was a really important interview last night. Yeah. I, I, th I think you guys are degrading the quality of this show right now. Yeah, I okay. think really it'd be a good, <laughs> good idea yeah, for them to get fame. real jobs. They don't deserve any fame for Mortgage <laughs> Matters. Let's move on. Um. Yeah, so hey, a couple little things about uh, this week. I wanted to share this with you, Dan. Uh, you're familiar with the FHFA Home Price um, Index, right? Um, yes. Every, every month or so, we get a, a couple different home price indices that tell us about the value of real estate. Yeah, going around, they sort of average the numbers all out and come up with uh, what the home price did for that month. Um, <laughs> hey, so check this out. Oh, before I move on, I know I kind of preface this a lot, but maybe there's some new listeners, whatever. The thing about the FHA home price index that makes it a little bit different than the other indices is that FHFA um, is actually receiving all, like 100% of the appraisals that are utilized in refinance transactions for most every type of government or agency loan. So... You've got the, the numerical values from the appraisal report being uploaded into the system, which then is using that in addition to the standard sales price uh, analyzation of the different markets and coming up with a number about what's going on in the market. Um, so the big news uh, on Wednesday is that home prices rose 0.7%. Um, from January to February, uh, this exceeded economists' expectations. And, you know, just real quick, if we did have 0.7% a month, what is that a year? Like eight and an eight and a half. And then if that continued for like 10 years. Up more. That's like doubling, isn't it? Darn near. Fascinating. After last week's conversation, that number came right out. I see where you. I see ah, what you did. Here there. we are. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, we'll see. We'll all be watching here uh, to see how it actually shakes up. But um, this gain is kind of an important one because. Um, the last uh, federal open market committee meeting, part of their statement talked about housing remaining kind of slow. And part of slow is, is not only the volume of transactions that are selling, but also talking about the value of real estate. Um, I think they were talking more about number of transactions and more importantly, building. Yeah, sure. But I, there's no doubt that the homes are 
prices are going up. And I mean, you're right about that. And what one of the things we also learned pretty soon thereafter. Uh, so before I move on from that real quick, uh, inventory for existing homes is currently at about four and a half months, which means that's the national figure. Yeah, if you sold at the current pace of absorption, you'd be fully out of homes to sell in four and a half months. Um, and that's considered six months is considered balanced. So this number of four and a half is this is considered too few. Um, and obviously what sets the stage for the seller's market and makes it ultra competitive for buyers. Likewise, then pushing the value of real estate up. And um, in, in California, those numbers are even even more competitive. It's three and a half months for the state of California. And then we've heard some some stories from some of the larger markets like a San Francisco or something like that. The market, the true marketing time of a well-priced home is about a week. Right. Uh, and so <coughs> then new home sales coming out um, really just the day before. We learned of this uh, this number here on Tuesday, new home sales tumbled 11.5% in March, the biggest drop in more than a year and a half, um, obliterating three months worth of gains, uh, kind of a freaky number. Um, so why? Who cares? Point is, that market's still a little bit volatile, but I'll tell you, and how I'm going to go back and sort of, you know, pull the blank up, blanket up on this one is as long as home values are going up, that's paving the way for the ability to build homes more competitively and get them to market um, with safer profit margins, which is going to help uh, that new construction and those new sales. I mean, one of the things you just... Go talk to somebody that's in building today if you don't understand this. Uh, it's more expensive, really, than ever to build right now. Materials are expensive. There's new taxes on materials and paints. There's new energy efficiency requirements. There's all kinds of new requirements. Um exaction fees now from the city because this project is going to create you know an additional strain on an already um strained traffic problem out front all these all these things have made it more expensive to construct and really sadly one of the answers here is you need real estate to go up in value to afford these uh builders a little bit more room to build and price competitively i think the margins there are so thin lately that it that it keeps builders from being able to really get in there and and mix the market up so um this 11 percent decline number that that doesn't scare me because i think back over the past several years and the starts have been so erratic you know there, there's been sure there's a development here development there but for the most part it's not there's not consistent building going on so i don't expect consistency in the number of new homes being sold i expect yeah. it to be as erratic as the starts have been yeah i, I think so too <clears throat> at the same time though there's a good piece of me that looks at this and says wouldn't new home sales be just flying off the shelves given the limited amount of existing homes there are for sale in other words you got a buyer that walks into San Luis Obispo and says, hey, I'm here to buy a house. What you got? And we go, well, we got these two used ones or these uh, 12 new ones. Pick one. Um, and then you see a decline in the new home segment. Kind of makes me wonder, um, you know, and tying a few of these articles together, do you recall a month ago I shared what the average uh, square footage was for a new home in California? 
I don't remember. Uh, 2,400 square feet. Maybe that's one of the problems. Maybe these new homes aren't selling as fast as they could because they're building little uh, exclusive kind of mini mansions for people. That's a pretty big house, 2,400 square feet. Yeah. That's not the starter home. No, um, especially when you think about, I mean, our area, $300 a square foot is pretty normal. For a lot of cities, some are higher, some are lower, but three hundred is kind of yeah. Like so right run in the that math out. You're talking about seven hundred and something thousand dollar house. Yeah, just that's for not a, that's not an entry level house. That's not something that everyone can afford. So you so you might see. A I'm little also bit of, curious though. What's not necessarily being said is what's the what's the supply? What's the inventory in new homes? I mean, are we at a less than six months supply with new homes? Because that would tell more than maybe the eleven percent decline in sales. I'm not sure about that, but here's a little um, here's a little bit of a silver lining to that whole uh, stat right there. Um, Prior months, new home sales numbers have been revised upward, and when you go back and look at it year over year, new home purchases have risen almost twenty percent. It's nineteen point four percent. So. You kind of got to look at all of this data every now and again for whatever reason. There's just a fluke month where it's like, wow, that wasn't, that's oh. not the norm of what we've been doing. It's it certainly weather. not what anybody expected. Yeah. <laughs> um, something like that. But uh, point being is sometimes you got to zoom out and take a bigger view, kind of smooth out those bumps and anomalies. And here we see that 20% growth year over year. That's pretty good. Um, and well, when you look at the, the, the larger segment of the market, the existing homes market, and those were up, you know, up over 6% from the month prior. And if you look at the, <clears throat> the month prior too, um, you know, if you're a new home builder, Maybe you just maybe a lot of projects just got buttoned up there in um, February for one reason or another, and so you had a, a little bit of a spike in sales there. Who knows? I, I don't know how that's all planned out. I know they don't orchestrate it together, but you got to imagine sometimes products going to come to market at different paces because it's coming from different places. So, um, Dan, you mentioned earlier a little bit of chat about um that difference in the the sort of small nimble bank lender like us versus the big bank um i had a conversation yesterday with somebody that i wish could have been recorded it was such a good like concise 10 minute talk about this kind of thing um but one of the things that is interesting to me is we're already learning about all of the bank profits this week for first quarter um, and I don't want to go over all of them and bring them all in and I'll just fly by this. If, if any of you guys are interested in learning about the bank profits and what these things are doing right now, um, Wells Fargo recorded a net income of 5.8 billion. Um, the healthy. change year over year though. Yeah. That's a lot of money, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, let's not move past that too quick. Remember when Wells Fargo was losing money every yeah. year? Um, yeah. So five point eight billion. The change year over year, though, is minus two percent. So I'm gonna look back and say, what do you suppose Wells Fargo's biggest source of revenue is in all of their company? <laughs> well, I think for the past several years, it's been mortgage. Yeah, um, and that's the case here today. Um, so look at this drop of two percent year over year. Let's think about origination volume a year ago. How was origination volume a year ago compared to today? Um, it's better today. Rates are a little bit lower today. Uh, all of the people that project um, 
going forward, what volume should you expect in your mortgage company? 2015, oh, brace yourselves for a 60% decline. Uh, yeah. Actually, contrary. Most most measures are up by about 20% across the board because of these low rates and probably thanks to nothing else. Um, so including the mortgage banking fees um, year over year, these guys are up 2%. It sort of makes me wonder when this thing slows down, how much money are these banks going to lose? And is it a good time to be in bank stock right now? Um, and, and is mortgage origination volume going to slow down in years to come? Probably. I mean... But will they be able to make up for that revenue and other other areas of their oh, business when like, rates rise like uh, additional atm fees or <laughs> I'm sure like, that's <laughs> no more free checks <clears throat> what are we talking here no more free checking i was just thinking of like a bigger spread on on loans or on on savings account balances maybe yeah, maybe people are more apt to save when there's See, actually a return but on. I mean, I, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I'm not the secondary guy. I'll concede <laughs> right away to this, but I, I I am a manager though, and I've been an operations manager, so I know I know I need to keep a close eye on the formula of of my staff. Right, how much production per head am I getting out of my staff? Um, when rates go up and volume declines. I'm going to be shedding overhead by way. I mean, if I'm Wells Fargo, I'm laying off like uh, 15, 20, 30, 40,000 people out of my mortgage channel pretty quickly. That's going to free up a little bit of revenue. But at the same time, I'm probably going to lean out my profit margin a little bit in an attempt to keep and maintain the market share I fought so hard to get. Yeah, so, they're doing that currently. I I so, in the last couple of weeks had a conversation with our Wells Fargo rep about that very topic that they're disappointed with the amount of market share they've lost. Yeah. Which we just we talked about earlier that big banks are really losing out on on mortgage market share and just the way the the market is looking in the future, they're they are already trying to lean out and and when I look at them, they're still not one of our better executions. And They've then, got more leaning to do. And then tell me this. I mean, I, we could probably do a whole show about this. And I asked this question from kind of a naive place. But, uh, I mean, it's been a long time. In fact, I'll even go so far as to say that, um, you know, my kids are 12, 10, and 6. Okay? And uh, the wife and I are in the mid-30s now. So back in those days when bank accounts were paying interest... I didn't have any money in the bank, so I don't know a lot about that. Um, but from a banking standpoint, what happens when now you got to give people money for all the money they've got in your bank? Does, I mean, that can't exactly help you. And in those same in that same environment, yeah, I get the car loan interest rates higher and all that kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, I mean, can't aren't the banks borrowing at like near zero percent from each other and from the Fed right now? That that overnight rate. Um, so I got to imagine that there's going to be this correction period where things are going to get a little bit more expensive while you try to figure out how you need to reset everything to be able to afford that. And then to boot, you're going to have not only um, less mortgage volume, which has been your your buoyancy factor here for the last 10 years, but you're also experiencing a dramatic decline in your market share. Now, there's been these reports that keep showing how Wells Fargo was pulling about 35% of the total market in mortgages, 
Um, and that number is down now somewhere like 25% or something. Don't the banks yeah, also sure. use your money to make money? Yeah. Oh, of course. Sure. I mean, there's like that famous line and it's a wonderful life. It's not in just your house. It's not in the bank. It's in his house and his house and his house and his, his property and yeah, stuff. Well, when yeah, George and Bailey is going off about, and, yeah, George sure. Bailey is going off about how the bank money is not actually there. Right. Well, and I think today more of it is than ever. That's what a lot of the reserve requirements are, right? Yeah. The balance sheet, things like that. But it just, I was reading through the bank stuff and I was sitting here thinking, you know, you know what's interesting about this? For years, it was like, oh man, that bank ate it. That bank got bought by that bank. That bank, you know, is looking for a bailout. That bank just barely paid their TARP money back. That bank doesn't have their TARP money to pay back yet. Um, and then it turned into, oh, that bank turned a profit and they have all paid back their TARP money. And then I started to look and say, man, check the banks out. Their stocks are going crazy. They're actually looking pretty solvent. Things are looking really good. Who's stepping into this fly trap right here where, in a couple more years, some of these bank values, and especially once we figure out what the impact of the new compliance costs of all of the Dodd-Frank and the CFPB, the loss of market share, uh, because the banks like us, the brokers and stuff are re-emerging and gobbling up market share because of our, like you said, nimbleness and ability to provide great service at lower rates and fees than the banks can, I just wonder... Um, I mean, I'm not ready to go short bank stock, but I, I, I really think that the banks um, might have a tough go of this new economy once things start to go up a little bit. And maybe I'm just well, being to steal, a pessimist To or not. steal Fed terminology, they've got tools in the toolbox at their disposal. They've got equity lines they haven't been pushing. They've got okay. construction loan products that they haven't been okay. pushing. Hey, subprime, it could be the okay. it could be coming back. You never know. It'll just uh, we, it'll be it'll be just long enough that people will forget what TARP and HARP and HAMP and QE and all, all those that stuff. Fun They're acronyms. gonna forget all those acronyms. They're gonna be like, "Hey, man, where's my 125 loan?" Yeah, you know, and <laughs> and need... we learned in 2009. One of the most profound things I think that finally hit me as like a grown up is that most people. And this was like I, I forget who produced the stat, but that most people. Uh, human nature then is just to ex to sort of expect that the current norm is going to continue going forward. We all just kind of feel that way. And when things were doom and gloom and bad and uh, everybody had a sour taste on real estate and the values were just declining and everyone was just like, well, how low can it go? This is ridiculous. Everybody I know's life sucks now. Um, and now things have turned around, have gotten a little bit better. Um, so yeah, I guess my prediction of real estate doubling in the next 10 years is probably I'm expecting the norm to continue. I, we've been on the upswing now for a little while. Things are doing pretty good. Um, so who knows, but I, one of the other things that I love to say, I tell people this all the time. One thing I've learned from being in the mortgage business, um, for more than a decade now is never, ever, ever doubt the power of self-preservation. 
somebody backed into a corner, a bank backed into a corner, an economy backed into a corner where it's just that fear where all of a sudden a new product is born, a new market, <laughs> a new angle, dusting off those construction loans, all that kind of thing. I mean, you realize it's always that that self-preservation thing that comes up uh, right into place. That's what happens. So yeah, I'm forgetting that all of those <laughs> things are there. And hey, Maybe the dummies that run this whole mortgage thing will get smart one day and just drop 40-year loans out uh, and say, hey, here's your affordability. Yeah, things have gotten overpriced, this, that, and the other. It didn't keep up with wages, but that's because we gave the same loan terms for 70 years. So who knows? Maybe that changes a little bit too. Tis 944 on a soggy day. Um, when I was coming over the grade, it was dumping hard, like literally wipers on like full bore. So if you guys are out and about, uh, be safe, leave a little extra space on that, uh, that car you're tailgating right now. Yeah. I'm talking <laughs> to you in the minivan, slow down and make sure uh, you have your headlights on too, please. <laughs> yeah, Thank you. Your headlights on. Thank you. Uh, all right. We're going to do a, another commercial break here. We'll be back in another few minutes for another segment of Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you refinance your home or investment property. Lower your rate, shorten your loan term, or get out of your mortgage insurance. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Raindrops are falling on my head And just like the guy whose feet are too big 
for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling All right, everybody, welcome back. Man, I I can't stop thinking about that movie I watched last night. I guess you should watch it. It's called Interstellar. Um, Thought-provoking, for sure. And one of the things that the the lead character, Matthew McConaughey, he said um, his wife made the comment to him. She was since um, dead, but said that Parents are nothing more than the future memories for their children. Wow. I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm. Kind of thought about my parents that way, which are both still alive and hopefully many more memories to make, but interesting. Yeah. Um, and my grandparents, um, you know, my dad's side are passed away. And I thought mm. it kind of, at that point, you kind of are just your children's memory. Yeah. And then, uh, kind of, I don't know. Sort That's of, why you got to make a difference, I guess. Yeah. Somehow. All good memories, right? Hopefully. Interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Weird movie. Kind of a weird movie. Sounds thought provoking. Yeah, you should watch the movie. We got it by the Red Box, you know, mm-hmm. so you can watch it for a buck. But uh, yeah, you should watch it. You have to check it's weird. out. Interstellar. Interstellar. Nothing and I, I'm not going to do like the spoiler thing. I won't tell you guys anything more than that, but. I just keep thinking about it. every time I'm not like saying something. I think about this weird movie that I uh, <laughs> interesting stuff. Um, so yeah, let's see. Uh, <laughs> there's the screen I was looking for. There was a couple of other little numbers here too that um, I thought were interesting. Um, and we talked about uh, new home sales. I didn't put these close enough together on the page that I missed this when we were talking before, but um, we also learned of the March housing starts and building permit numbers. So yeah, housing are- housing starts were up 2%. So starting a few more homes than normal. And then building permits down 5.7 so you it's like there's uh so permits are are people going in and filing the paperwork and beginning that part of the process starts are actually shovels in the ground that's right yeah and you know we do know that building permits number is a pretty volatile one uh, because when a huge construction project like for big units like those apartment buildings and condo buildings or big big subdivisions in you know whatever part of america they are those can really sway these numbers and so you can see pretty wild swings in the permits number i think starts matter a little bit more than permits and and starts were um even a little bit less than expected um why weather man <laughs> That's why every number didn't we that ex- comes out low didn't is we weather. Expect- there weren't enough rainbows, so you know people didn't file as many permits. That's right. Just come on. Um, and then let's see here: the National Home Builder Association confidence reading. Um, they're feeling more optimistic and believe that the housing market will continue to strengthen throughout 2015. So that's good news there. Um, in the not so great news column, 
um, industrial production fell. Um, it fell for the month of March, and it doesn't seem like a, a substantial fall of 0.6%. But again, they kind of cite that this was, you know, in almost three years, this was the biggest drop. Um, and economists really expected better out of that number, expected that we were um, industrial production was going to be better than it actually was. Um, and then likewise, the capacity utilization for the industrial sector here um, also decreased in the month of March. Uh, those numbers are critical. I don't I, I don't really consider them first tier market moving numbers, but it, it does give a little bit of an, an idea of what's going on in the overall market in terms of uh, are we growing and poised for growth as a national economy? Are we making and running at capacity? Um, and this reading for March would suggest not. Uh, I just keep waiting for you to interject with this one, the beige book. That's in here. It's a household favorite. Yeah. you. <laughs> the beige book. Um there were the big takeaway here from the beige book. So, yeah, it's a boring one, right? Even the color's boring. Just the color. I think the information's very exciting. Me too. I love it. <laughs> um, it takes uh, from regions in the U.S. How many regions are there? Twelve. Twelve regions. Twelve. Um, where they're going to look at what's going on. What's driving the economy? How's the job market doing? How's housing doing? How What just sort of... Kind of trying to figure out what's the sum of the parts and regionally what's going on. Um, the Beige Book this month says that they're um, they observed layoffs in multiple re in multiple regions. Um, the reasons being primarily lower energy costs were hurting. And if you think about that, we don't see that an awful lot here on the Central Coast. But um, venture inland over to uh, Bakersfield and Taft, anywhere in the valley over there, those economies are hurting right now with these lower energy prices. Um, so you can see how that could come to play out in a lot of the other regions. So I don't know that anybody expected anything really different out of that. Um, and also the Beige Book pointed that the economy um, has expanded at a, a modest to moderate pace from February to March. Um, and then lastly, saying that um, it's believed in most of the regions here that there's an upward pressure on wages as well as prices. So I think really when the energy prices kind of go back to probably where they belong, I feel weird saying that because I, I want them to belong a lot lower, yeah, but economically they don't seem to belong lower. Um, but when those energy prices sort of normalize a little bit, we're going to see a pickup in wages as well as a pickup in prices. So um, is that good news or not? I don't know. Depends uh, on if you have to fill up the tank this week or not. I'm loving that the diesel's cheaper than the gas again because that's supposed to be that way and then it wasn't for a long time. So neener, neener. I got a chuckle out of Jim. So neener, neener. Okay. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I did our uh, our company quarterly report that we're required to to file with the National Mortgage Licensing Service. Yep. It's the called the call report, and it's it's basically just a breakdown of 
of business um, activity and, and volumes based on a few different metrics. And so I, I, I find this to be interesting just to see trends within mortgage originations. Um, with so, so what I reported were the first quarter numbers, and with the decline in interest rates over the first quarter, refinancing volume really picked up. That's no surprise, right? We've we've known that. We've seen oh, that yeah. through application figures that come out weekly. Um, we've heard it through all the headlines. About we know rates that being because low. Wells Fargo stayed profitable. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> so um, to put some actual numbers to it, about three quarters of loans. Um, funded in the first quarter were refinances. Whoa. 76% refis, 24% purchases. Um, and not too surprising, one part of this is surprising, but the breakdown of the types of loans that we're doing, um, 86% conventional, Okay, not surprising. And and that also includes jumbo lending. Jumbos get lumped in, for this report anyway, into the conventional lending. 86% of, of total volume is conventional. 6% FHA, 8% VA, no USDA loans. That None was kind of surprising. Not a single USDA in the quarter. Wow. Yeah. That's kind really of surprising, surprising because USDA actually has been um, historically for our company over, over the entire existence of our company has been neck and neck with the other government programs, the FHAs and VAs. In yeah. fact, oftentimes it's more than those um than those other programs. Well, but and you know, there's two, not a one. there's two things that are really affecting that, by the way. I mean, first and foremost is that USDA has got a max loan amount of 417000 So as we move around the county, we find that more and more places are bumping into that number, and you just might not be able to get it um, to get in under that level. And then secondly, with those higher loan amounts, USDA has got some income restrictions and limitations that when you start dealing in houses that are $400,000, the incomes for what it takes to be able to afford that start to push into that level, which I think is at like 86000 It's 86700 for a one to four person household. And I think it jumps up into the 112000 range when you're at four, five or more members. Right. But when you when you have that high end loan amount with that cap on income and then they have a lower debt to income ratio requirement it usually caps out at about 41 percent or right. so when you put all those numbers together and piece it together it takes a unique buyer that yep. can afford that can qualify for that program they basically have to be just below the income cap right at the debt to income ratio max and have no other consumer debt in order yeah, to Yeah, no car loans, all those kind of things. And you know, honestly, I think a lot of time people with four, five, six dependents that are making less than $86,000 a year, um, they generally do have some other debt. They're financing a car or something like that. We want to remind you that uh, we're coming up on the top of the hour break. We're going to be gone for just a few minutes. When we come back for the second hour of the show, we're going to be joined by County Tax Assessor Tom Bordenaro. And we will be taking live calls for that entire second hour. So we want to invite your participation. Is it funny that I just like geeky smiled that we're going to get to have Tom? <laughs> <laughs> the excitement like, is building. I can't wait. 543-8830. Right. 543-8830 is the number to call for questions or comments for Tom Bordenaro when we come back after these uh, commercial messages.
Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. This is the hour we've all been waiting for. It's the the second hour of Mortgage Matters. And uh, before we get to our guest, I just want to remind you one more time, if you'd like to call in and ask a question or share a comment, uh, the number to do that is 543-8830, 543-8830. If you're out of area, we've got an 800 number, 800-549-5832. And uh, yeah, we're, we're so excited to be joined by our next guest. He makes a, a phone call appearance once a year, has done so uh, the last several years. We really appreciate his time. Um, Tom Bordenaro joins us from the county tax assessor's office. He's actually probably not there right now. I imagine, <laughs> I imagine you're calling from home, right, Tom? I am calling from home. <laughs> All right. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks much for taking the time. Appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. So what, tell us, uh, we'll, we'll let you just take the stage here first. What's new in the county? What's new and exciting from the last time we talked? New and exciting. Well, you know, we're kind of like a, we're kind of like a mouse on a treadmill, ever chasing the cheese. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we kind of do the same thing over and over, but it's always new uh, in, in the respect that the market, you know, we're a, uh, uh, we're busy with this with this market. The market, the real estate market, uh, has made somewhat of a rebound from you know the high of '06, and we have changed the market as it went down in our office, lowering lowering values. Uh, with the folks' market value dipped underneath what their assessed value was, we actually had at one point 34 percent of all the homes in this county in a decline in value state where we. We lowered actively lowered uh, homeowners uh, and property owners' values, chasing the market down. And now that market's starting to come back up, um, we still are uh, have quite a few uh, homes that are homes and buildings and commercial industrial that are um, their assessed value is under their what we call the Prop 13 value. So our office is extremely busy um, because we're looking at all of those properties uh, every January 1st to see if they should be restored in value or not. Um, and, you know, like I said, it's 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 kind of a, a treadmill that we're on, but uh, my staff does a phenomenal job. They uh, they make me look good every day. And, um, you know, we're, we're just excited to be able to actually um, do what we do and do a pretty darn good job at it, I think. I'm I'm surprised, Tom, to hear that there are still properties that are under their Prop 13 value. I'm curious, are, can you have you identified? Are, are there specific areas of the county where you're seeing that just, more so than another, or is it widespread? Or just people that bought at the worst possible time and overpaid. It's, you know, it's people that bought at the worst possible time. Anywhere from you know '04 to '06, those properties hit pretty high. It's in the areas where we saw the. You know the most extreme growth. So, South 
County, you know, in the Pomo area, North County, Paso Robles, where there was uh, Tuscarora, where there was a lot of subdivisions that went in, and kind of that's that's where the biggest, uh, you know, the one of the most explosive growth occurred in the market run up, and so those are the areas where you still see um, homes that are upside down. We have partially restored a lot of those, but not fully restored. So, uh, you know, we saw a market drop that was pretty horrendous. And the market has come back, but more like a lamb instead of a lion. And um, so it will probably take several years before we get back to the levels we were. In some areas, to be honest with you, don't know if we'll ever get back to some of those 06 levels that were just really out of control. Hmm. I think we will. <laughs> Last week on the show, Jason made a very bold prediction that in, he anticipates in 10 years home prices doubling. And and a lot of that that uh, prediction was based on lack of building that's occurred. I'm curious, in your office, I imagine you do budgeting and things like that to anticipate revenues. Do you have any kind of feel on, on what kind of appreciation numbers you see over the next 10 years within our county? Well, you know, it, it's it's kind of difficult on our end to predict what those numbers are going to be because of Prop 13 and because of the way it works. When we look at county revenue or when we look at assessed value, it doesn't necessarily follow the market because you have Prop 13 in place, which puts a cap on the growth. So, uh, But we are predicting um, an assessed value of growth this next year of about 5%. Um, which, again, will probably be under what the market is, but that is because you have a lot of the homes that are, you know, pre-2000 that are still under their Prop 13 values. Um, and those only can go up 2% a year, depending on what the inflation factor, um, you know, that is applied. Um, but, yeah, we do still see growth. We don't see – I don't see the uh, tremendous growth that we saw, the run-up that we saw in the 2000s. Um, but, you know, we don't – look – I don't predict real estate values. Um, if I were really good at predicting real estate values, I'd be retired. Yeah. <laughs> and living like in Hawaii or the Bahamas or someplace. No, you'd so, be here in Slow. Um, this is paradise, man. This is paradise. Well, I know. I, we are blessed to live where, where people vacation. And, you know, um, it, it definitely is paradise. But I would definitely be retired if I could predict real estate values. Tom, I have a couple questions for you, and uh, I'll try to do them in kind of a logical order. Um, for my first question is, um, we always talk with people, you know, obviously that are buying homes about, uh, in most of the time when somebody buys a new home, we always try to lean on them to do an impound account to set up that account with escrow where they pay their taxes and insurance every month as part of their payment. Um, it always comes to be that uh, there's, well, I shouldn't say always, the lion's share of the time it comes to be that there's a, a supplemental assessment where some period of time has passed since you bought it and the uh, assessor's office finally kind of catches up and then levies the difference between what the old owner's tax bill is and what the new owner's tax bill is and then issues a bill um, for the, you know, the couple halves of the year for the portion of that money. Um, what what can you tell us about that process and the kind of the timelines surrounding it that we might be giving better advice to home buyers? Well, um, for the record, we hate supplementals too. Okay. Um, 
So just so you know, it's not something we enjoy because um, of just what you said. Folks kind of, if they don't do an inbound account and if they don't, if that inbound account is not based realistically on what the new taxes will be, um, people can find themselves short and then they're caught off guard because it does take us a while to get a supplemental bill out, which is, I mean, we're, we're constantly trying to improve that. At one time, the average is was more than 14 months. We've got that whittled back now, and there's a lot of technical reasons why that is, but they're just, you know, government excuses, to be honest with you. Um, but it does take us a while because we are working, um, you know, after the fact, so we don't know about a sale for a period of time, and then, because we're always, you know, working, looking backwards, um, and so it does take, it could take six um six to eight months for a supplemental to go out. We'd love to return to the days where there was no supplemental and you just caught up at the next lean date, um, the next January 1. But those days, those days are gone. Um, yeah, and you know what? So you know what happened? need to make sure that if the property is based on an open market transaction, so a willing buyer and a willing seller, you know, no no issues with the property. It wasn't any type of a foreclosure. The owner wasn't, you know, um, under duress. Then most likely the market value that was the transaction will be the assessed value. So people should kind of know what their bill will be. They can compare it with their old bill. In fact, they can, they can um, you know, we can help estimate what their supplemental will be in the future. And um, then they can, you know, use that information to at least put the money away. But whatever you do, you know, you got to be prepared for that because it is a shock to some folks. Yeah, and it seems that no matter how many times I tell people your impound account is not going to pay your supplementals, um, you know, and we do, we do. We calculate everything at one and a quarter percent, which is, to my knowledge, more than anywhere in the county that you guys actually end up setting that value in that normal open market transaction. So generally speaking, there's more than enough money in the account, but by some of the trust fund laws, what ends up happening is three or five months down the road, the lender returns that excess, says, hey, we, we can't be in possession of this extra money for very long. And right. so they send it back to the, the new homeowner. Um, and I always tell people, if you get that refund, go ahead and stick it in the savings account or leave the check uncashed if you're the kind that has that lack of self-discipline because you are going to get another bill and that's the money that we intended you to use to pay for it. Um, and if they don't, you know, oftentimes people will get their supplemental bill and they just throw it away and say, oh, I have an impound account. This is, I don't have to worry about this. So we're always trying to help people remember this stuff after the fact. And it's difficult because a lot happens when you buy a house and you forget all of those little things that we, you know, want you to remember. Um, and I'll tell you, we, we had one um, where just yesterday, these guys bought a house in San Luis um, just over six months ago, and just yesterday they were made aware of the supplementals. It wasn't yet payable, but um, so you guys have whittled that number down, and um, yeah, it's just it's one of those things that just always causes a little bit of confusion, a little bit of stress. I understand why it exists. Um, and as we're talking about this, I wonder, do people ever get like a refund if the previous owner's tax base was higher than what the new owner's is, they pay at the old owner's tax base and then ultimately get a refund? 
Oh, absolutely. And we call those negative supplementals. Um, from 06 till the market started recovering, that was actually um, you know, much more common than it is today. Uh, of course, if, if it was an REO or you know, if it had been foreclosed upon uh, in, in one way or another or a short sale, it may not have, because we may have already reduced it. If we have reduced the property under Prop 8, then they're probably you know, their values were uh, were significantly reduced over what they were in the high of 06. But negative, negative supplementals are are issued, and people really are confused when they see that. Yeah. Um, but they will get they will get a refund if those supplementals had been paid. You know, if that difference had been already paid. Sure. Um, and that's when you know we're heroes. And yeah. Us. Anytime um, the government gives you back some money, you're pretty pumped about that. Exactly. You're right. People, when they get, if they get money back from their impound account, they definitely should not go out and buy a new car. No. Um, you know, they are going to get hit with that supplemental, and it, it is going to be stressful. Yep. Um, and we're trying, like I said, we're trying to shorten up the time. One of the problems is, um, you know, we physically cannot work. For instance, if something were to sell today, in, in 2015, we can't even start working on that until after July of this year because we're working on the 20, 2014 assessment rule up until June 30th. Um, and so it's kind of, and then we turn over that rule to the auditor, then we can open up the 2015 year rule. So if someone were to sell on June 29th, we can't even start working on that until we get everything done from January to June and all that January stuff, we can't work start working on until July. So we're behind the game before we even start. And that's just a technical issue because the way that the systems work is you can't work on future roll years while you still have the old roll year open. So um, uh. that becomes problematic. So we're, you know, we're anywhere from four to five months behind um, as soon as the roll year opens up. So it's going to be it's impossible for us to move the supplemental of real close to the date date of sale. Um, even if we were, you know, fully caught up, our systems don't allow us. And this is not just a San Luis Obispo County problem; it's a problem statewide. Um, you, unless you have a way of working on two roll years at once, which I don't know any assessors that do at this point. I want to take a quick moment to remind our listeners that if you'd like to ask a question or share a comment, you can do so by calling 543-8830, 543-8830. We're joined by Tom Bordenaro from the San Luis Obispo County Tax Assessor's Office. We have Marilyn in San Luis Obispo waiting patiently on the line. Good morning, Marilyn. Good morning. morning. Nice to have you there, Tom. Thank you. Um, I am not familiar with what cement supplemental means and also I'm under prop 13 and I am only able to live here because I am so I'm concerned about what's your idea of what will happen in the future I think some of the things under sub, um, prop 13 are unfair I think it should be only on the residence you live in not on all your vacation homes or businesses. But anyway, that's my feeling. You must not own any vacation homes or businesses. I do not. (laughs) (laughs) Yet you want it on your house. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it should be only on where you live. Yeah. 
Hey, well, thanks, Marilyn. We can certainly address those issues. I guess, and Tom, we probably should do a little flyby um, again on the supplementals, but I'll I'll give a whack at it. Tell me if I'm wrong. You got your tax bill um, for one owner is $3,000 a year, and that is because of Prop 13. Maybe that guy owned that house for 20 years. And so when the new buyer buys the house, the new tax rate for that new buyer might be $4,000 a year. So Tom's office has already billed that assessed year out at $3,000 for the year. The new buyer retroactively from the day they took ownership is going to owe at their new tax rate when it it they don't have the benefit of that Prop 13 protection. So when they have that additional $1,000 due, um, if it takes Tom's office six months to get around to it, they're going to send you a bill for six months worth of your new $1,000 um, higher tax bill to catch you up. And then in the following year, there are no more supplementals because the assessment is $4,000 for that year and it's known up front when it's levied. And so there you go. So that you, Marilyn, you just, you've owned your home for a long time. So you, I don't know if you had them or not when you bought it, but unless you're buying real estate right now, supplemental taxes aren't really on your radar. Correct. And you're, you're right. If you ever need a second job, you can work at our front counter. That was a great, that was a great explanation <laughs> of the supplemental. It's a catch-up bill. Um, and, and, and when Prop 13 first came in, and in most areas of the country, probably all, I think all of the 49 states, your, your taxes are only, they're stepped up as, as of, like, in California, it's January 1. So it will be January 1. So if you bought your home during that period of time, even though the assessed value is going to increase, you would still have the benefit of the old the old assessed value until January 1st of the next year. So this just prorates the difference uh, depending on when you bought it um, in the portion of that new tax year. And so the second piece of Marilyn's question then is, um, does she have anything to worry about? I mean, if Prop 13 vanished tomorrow, there's an awful lot of people that uh, are going to have trouble um, probably eating or paying their health care or something. Is she Should she be laying awake tonight? No, she should not. Prop 13 is not going anywhere. It's the third rail of politics. There's not one politician, I don't care if they're on the far right or the far left, that would ever go out and try to mess with Prop 13. Now, for residential, especially, you're safe. There have been attempts in the past to develop what is called a split role, where your primary residence or even maybe all residences, even if they include a second home, are under Prop 13 and commercial industrial are not. And they would return to uh, the way that the 49 and the way California used to do it, which is a reassessment every maybe four years or every five years. It's called cyclical reassessment. Um, and there are groups that continuously make a run at that, um, most mainly through the initiative process. Uh, the rumors are that there's going to be one attempted to be qualified for uh, November of 2016. We've not seen it out there yet. They have failed in the past. Um, it is something that Californians of actually all ages, even those that are first buying a home, um, when it's explained to them, understand, hey, we like Prop 13 because our market fluctuates so greatly. And when it takes off like it can in California, you have to have some protections for the homeowner because 
people will be thrown out of their house. I mean, in that in that 2000 to 2006 run up, there would have been people who could not afford to live in their homes um, because of the increases in taxes. They could have tripled or quadrupled under a cyclical reassessment um, program. And those on fixed income just can't do that. I mean, that, it's impossible. That's a really important thing about Prop 13, too, that I think people forget to acknowledge is that when the real estate economy is going through those um, overvaluation periods and that those run-ups like that, that's where so much, I think, potential damage could be there. That's probably where people stand to benefit the most. Um, the slow and steady increase over time of real estate isn't, isn't quite having the same impact. I like Prop 13. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that it's ever going away re residentially either. I, I do wonder if commercially that's the right thing or not. Um, but you know who knows well there have been there have been studies that show that because what you're assuming is properties never turn over and the fact of the matter is commercial properties turn over at a much higher rate than residential properties do. Right. so they do not sure they are under prop 13 but when you see commercial properties selling they're being stepped up their bases are stepped up too so the studies have shown that yes commercial properties don't um you know, they, they do benefit from Prop 13, but not anywhere near the rate that residential properties do because commercial properties sell. Um, and so they are stepped up, uh, in their bases are stepped up more frequently um, than homes are. And, you know, it, it will be definitely, I can tell you, if, if Prop 13 were to go away, even if it was just for commercial industrial, it'll be a nightmare for assessors. Um, <laughs> we'd have to, like, quadruple our staff just to keep up to get the work done because under Prop 13 and an increasing market, um, <clears throat> we're simply indexing properties. Um, and so, but in the other, in another arena, um, we would have to be uh, reassessing properties on a cyclical basis every four years and we'd have to increase our staff size quite dramatically to get that done. Would the Have you done any numbers where would the revenues realized from that kind of extra effort pay for the additional staff? You know, it depends on which study you look at, to be quite honest with you. If you look at the one that's put out by, um, you know, those folks that are in favor of Prop 13, no, it's, there's not that big of an increase. Because you got to remember, the county receives, our county receives about 25% of the tax dollar. So if they bring in $100 million in revenue from taxes, $25 million goes to the county. The other, you know, part of it goes to schools, part of it goes to cities. So it's all broken up. So when you calculate out the percentage that the county actually receives, um, those studies show that it doesn't pay. When you look at the other side, the studies of folks that want to get rid of Prop 13, it shows a windfall in, in revenues for local government. So, it's amazing how those numbers yeah. can be so different. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> figures lie. Well, how's it go? Figures lie and liars figure? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, Tom, we need to do a commercial break. We're bumping into sure. 1030 here. Um, what I want to talk to you about when we get back from this break is the, um, the Proposition 90 stuff. Um, okay. I had a great conversation this week with a couple in Los Osos that are um, 
their kids and grandkids live in the South County, and they're wanting to um, sell the house in Los Osos that they've been in for 25 years and move to uh, Arroyo Grande. And mm-hmm. in doing so, uh, are concerned about their tax rate. So we know that there's the Proposition 90 um, transfer. Uh, and so I wanted to just chat with you about that and kind of get a, a real world example of how this might work. So um, let's oh, do. That a, would be good. Yeah, let's do a break and we'll talk a little bit about that. So, uh, guys, we're going to take time out to thank the sponsors. Stick around after this short break for more mortgage matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call five four three eight eight three zero or eight hundred five four nine fifty eight thirty two. Mortgage matters on KVEC News Talk nine twenty. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you buy your next home. We promise to close on time, on budget, with no surprises. Give Central Coast Lending a call today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. It's just after 1030. We are joined by a very special guest today, our county tax assessor, Tom Bordenaro. And um, folks, if you guys have questions, um, Dan and I were talking during the break. One of the awesome things here is here's an opportunity for you to ask a question uh, that's going to have direct impact on yourself. Um, Dan's got some questions later for things about trust and getting property to the next generation um, in the best possible way. 
way. So any of those questions that you could think of, we'd love to hear from you. The number that you can dial is 543-8830. So yeah, Tom, let's let's talk this uh, Prop 90 piece here um, about how somebody might transfer their, um, their tax roll basis from one residence to another um, in participating counties. Sure. Um, a pleasure. And there are, there are ways to exclude your, a change of ownership uh, from reassessment. Prop 13 says we're to reassess when there's a change of ownership, and that would include um, a person, you know, selling their home, buying a new one. So, and actually it's a Prop 60 um, that you're speaking of. Prop 90 is the same thing, but across county lines. Okay. Um, we do not allow Prop 90s. Uh, in San Luis Obispo County. And when I say we, it's the Board of Supervisors that would adopt an ordinance that would allow somebody moving in from outside the county to bring in their old old base here. Got it. Um, there are, there's only, I think, seven or eight counties in California that do that. Most of them are, are very urban counties like Orange County and L.A. County, where no one really even knows where the county line is, and there's a lot of people moving back and forth. So, um, But what we're speaking of is a Prop 60, which is a transfer base year. If you are over 55, you can you can purchase a new home and move your base year value from your old home to your new home. The idea is, you know, you're over 55, you're scaling down, the kids are out of the house, you want to move from your four-bedroom to a two-bedroom, but you can't do that because you've had your home for 20, 30 years, and the property taxes would, you know, triple, quadruple, um, or even more. So you can do it. It is a one-time exclusion. Um, the original property must have been owned and occupied as your principal residence. So you can't do this with a vacation home or, or anything such as that. And the new property has to be of equal to or lesser value than the old property. Um, and, of course, there's also a caveat to that. I tell everyone... In the assessment world, in property tax world, we do everything one way except for all the ways we don't do it that way. And so <laughs> if you purchase or build a year or two after you sold your own home, it could actually be a 5% in the first year increase or a 10% in the second year increase. But, but the idea is that it has to be equal or lesser value. So folks, if they sold their home in Los Osos, um, and I'm just throwing a number out there for 600000 and they purchased a home um, for 600000 or less, uh, wherever they're moving to, then they could transfer their old base here over to their new um, property. One time, if you're over 55, you can do it a second time if you become disabled, um, and you have to be um, certified. So in other words, you bought a two-bedroom home, uh, you moved it over when you were 56, and then when you become, you know, you're 67, you've already taken your transfer, um, or excuse me, a two-story home, you become disabled, confined to a wheelchair, um, and then there there is an allowance for a secondary exclusion to a home that is maybe, you know, one story. Um, so again, so long as it's not uh, more in value. Yeah. Uh, so that it's not an increase in value. Uh, again, it's an idea of if somebody is is um, you know needs to needs to scale down their life and everything else, they're getting ready to retire. Then um, 
there is there is an allowance for that, but you cannot cross county lines. Got it. And so in this particular case, these folks I was talking to this week, they, they're going to sell their house in Los Osos. And, you know, I think it sells somewhere in the the mid 400s, um, maybe pushing into probably not quite 500,000, but close to it. And it's tough to buy a, a even smaller house in Arroyo Grande for the same price. And they're wanting to go there. I mean, 70 years old, retired for years, but wanting to go there to be closer to their kids and grandkids and closer to doctors and things like that because, it, you mm-hmm. know, um, but they're likely to be buying a house for 550. Is there no no protection then there they cannot transfer or do you guys transfer some portion thereof and do kind of a split roll for them no it isn't it is a all or nothing okay um again this was a constitutional amendment we don't have a choice in it it is pretty locked in the only time it would be if it was um, purchased after so if the original uh if the replacement property were purchased within the first year. Now, it could be the next day. So if they close escrow on, let's say, March 30th on their old home, and they close escrow on the new home on March 31st, they do get a 5%, but only a 5%. Um, and then if it's if it's within, you know, if it's between one year and two years, they get a 10%, 110000 Sometimes it does become problematic. A lot of people do it when they're They'll sell their home near the coast, and they'll move inland. So they can sell a home in Morro Bay, let's say for, you know, oceanfront home for, it's a two-bedroom home, you know, they might sell for a million bucks. They could move to Fast Robles, take a million dollars, and buy a home that is a heck of a lot bigger, an estate property, for less than a million bucks, right? It would still qualify. So it's market value to market value, which is not necessarily buying down because you know how important location is yep. um, uh, as with market value. But, you know, normally in this case, they would have to find something that is equal to or less, or like I said, you can structure it so that they close just within one day um, and get that 5% pump. And you got to be real careful if you're getting it real close like that, because it isn't all or nothing. You got to make sure this is an open open market transaction that we're not going to come in and go, oh, you know, actually we're going to place the assessed value higher than the than the, your purchase price because you got a great deal and you bought it from your brother or whatever it might be. Um, it's got to be an open market transaction, and unfortunately, we can't really look at it until after the fact. Yep. So people need to be real careful when they're cutting it close. That makes sense. Well, that okay, I got that, and you know, I I can appreciate it. It is what it is, right? It's not that it's yeah, something I mean, I discretionary. The intent is I'm buying down. Yep. Now they didn't take geography and location into consideration when the constitutional amendment was was put into place. We also, you know, for folks that are out there, if they you know they want more detailed information, they can always call our office. But we have a lot of this on the web um, on Slow County. Uh, .ca.gov slash assessor uh, and we have all of our exemption forms, our exclusion forms, our uh, frequently asked questions. You can learn a lot on there. You can do a lot of insur- uh, investigation on, on these type of things and actually then fill out the forms, download them and bring them into our office um, if you're applying for these, any type of exemption or exclusion. 
All right. I that's awesome. Dan's got some questions. I want to ask one more question and I hope it's a fast one before we kind of switch gears from this. Um, I mean, I guess we're going to keep talking reassessment because that's sort of the the uh, topic du jour. But um, I think a lot of people are going to stay put in their home for longer now than they probably ever did before for a variety of reasons. Number one is there's a shortage of housing. Number two is people have really low interest rates. And then Prop 13 to boot is all the more reason why I think we're going to see people stay in their house for longer and longer than they ever have. Um, so it leads me to think that we're going to end up in situations where we want to do a remodel or an add-on. And if we do that with permits and we improve the uh, value of our property, what happens there with the assessed value um, in terms of, and, and let me give you an example here. Let's say we have a, a guy that, that buys a house uh, 10 years ago for $300,000. And, you know, today it's worth $400,000. He's enjoying the benefits of Prop 13. He does an addition to his property that adds a third, you know, more square footage. And the property value then is it's worth more money. Um, how does the reassessment then affect that homeowner? Is it um, just whatever now the complete project is at the new value or do we tax only the new improved piece what the change in value was how is that viewed it, it actually is only the value that was added by the new construction so you would end up with what we call a mixed base so let's say um um let's say that this home you know they're adding a new bedroom on that is and just for round numbers, $100 a square foot, uh, and, you know, they're adding on, the you know, 100 square feet. So we would add the 100 square feet times 100, uh, $100 a square foot, and that portion would be added. So it's only value added, um, which is also nice because a lot of people, and most people believe that their entire property is reassessed. Yep. It is not, and it's not even... Um, the entire value added on the overall, um, you know, unit but of appraisal, but it's just the portion that is added because and of that new construction. That's really a big deal. I mean, I that is, that is a huge deal. And by the way, that's whether you have a permit or not. Um, we actually, in the Constitution, says we value all tax. You know, we're supposed to value all taxable property, not every legal taxable property but it does so it doesn't matter to us whether you got a permit or not we'll put a value on it when we do not go out and tell code enforcement which a lot of people also believe we do we don't have time for that so if you have a four bedroom and we know it's a four bedroom but you are printed it to three we will still value you at four bedroom um so sure um, and by the way normally it's the next door neighbors that turn you in when you don't get a permit <laughs> not, not code enforcement but uh uh, just, oh, yeah. just a little side there, but that is a big deal because it makes a huge difference. As you're saying, there's a lot of incentive to stay in your home. Yep. So adding on is something that people definitely should consider. Thank you. So, Tom, I, I'm interested in, in talking about passing property on to generations, and, and specifically, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people hold title to their property in a trust. And I'm curious, does holding property in a trust allow you to pass property from generation to generation without being reassessed? 
Well, the short answer is maybe, but it, it could. <laughs> Most likely, you still will qualify what's called a parent-child exclusion, which is under Prop 58, where you can pass on, whether it's in a trust or not, to your children, your um Actually, quite a bit. You can pass on your principal residence, no matter what its tax base is, and up to a million dollars in um, base year value for all other real property. So, and that's base year value, not market value. So, um, a lot of properties, about, oh, I'm thinking about 18% of the properties in San Luis County are still under a 1975. Uh, tax base, but they have been passed on from generation to generation. Um, and so, you know, you don't necessarily have to go out and get a trust for that okay. um, because trusts are not are, are, are expensive. Um, and again, most trusts have some sort of distribution that at some point has to be made. Um, so don't be afraid of coming in and saying, you know, my parents left me this property. You can qualify. I think it's actually for two years after uh, the transfer, and don't take that one to the bank, but um, to actually, you know, to receive the benefits of Prop 13, you can also go from grandparents to grandchildren. If uh, if the parents, um, you know, maybe the parents are passed, so grandparents can give their grandchildren um, that same benefit. Um, and, by the way, children can give it to their parents, um, which does happen every once in a while, um, where um, you want to move some, you know, your parents may move into, um, you know, or purchase a piece of property from the children, then you can move that lower tax base over too. Is there um, a limit? Is there a limit through that um, Prop 58 exclusion uh, on the number of transfers? Can can my great grandfather have passed something to my grandfather, pass something to my father, pass something to me, and I pass it to my children? No limit. No, no limit. It's parent okay. to child, parent child all the way down the line ad nauseum forever and ever um and so that yeah cost, that was constitutional amendment uh and it actually applies to children who are uh, uh legally adopted so natural children stepchildren actually in-law relationships um and so there's a relatively broad and actually we've just changed the law a couple years ago so to allow for foster children that have established a relationship over a period of time that also qualify. So um, it's a great benefit, and people ought to take advantage of that. And my warning is this. People will leave, let's say they leave their home to three kids when they pass. The three kids go, I want, one of them says, I want to live in the home, so I'm going to buy you two siblings out. That is a reassessment. So that's a two-thirds reassessment. People have to be very careful when they do receive this exclusion if there are co-owners, um, because there is no exclusion between brother and sister um, or sister and sister, whatever, between siblings. So people have to be very careful and not just willy-nilly walk by you out, and then they have a reassessment, two-thirds reassessment, now they can't afford the taxes. Um, so that is, that's kind of one danger, and, and people, and I hate to say it, it's kind of, well, I'll just say it, people need to pick and choose between their children and who they want the property to go to, and they need to make sure that it's in their trust. If it is my house on, you know, Casa Street goes to my son John Smith, 
you know, my rental on Igera goes to my daughter, Sally Smith, that, that kind of works. But if you leave all your property to all your kids and let them try to figure it out, you could definitely come into reassessment issues as people are buying it. So you get the house, I get the commercial property, I want the house, and you want the commercial property, so we just trade, that's going to be a reassessment. Yep. So people need to be real careful once they get those assets as to what they do. Call our office if there's ever any question, because I'm telling you, people do strange things with their largest asset, which is their home. Um, that sometimes just shocks the heck out of me. Yeah, we tell all of our clients that the minute somebody starts talking about monkeying around with title, I say, you guys ought to call over to the county tax assessor's office and get uh, just get some sort of an understanding that you know before you push that button what your outcome is going to be. Well, I can guarantee you that people that are a lot smarter than you or I have tried with attorneys to get around a reassessment. And they probably have plugged whatever hole they think is out there. Yep. Um, so be very, very careful on how you take title, how you transfer title. I can tell you this is one of my nightmare stories that happens. Somebody brings someone on title as a joint tenant. There is not a reassessment. That person leaves title. The joint tenancy is broken. It's a 50% reassessment. Right. So people have brought their significant others on without being married. They've brought them on. 20 years they live in the same house together. 21st year they split up. The person leaves, right? It's a 50% reassessment. The person that owned the home before, still the person that owns the home after, but their taxes have gone up fourfold. Yep. So you got to be really careful when you mess around with title. Call our office. We cannot give legal advice, but we will tell you what will happen if what you're telling us, you know, you're thinking about doing. We'll tell you how we look at it. Um, and do some research and, you know, like I said, we've got a lot of stuff on the website. Don't mess around with title without understanding the tax consequences, the Tom, property tax consequences. I just want to throw in here real quick, too. I mean, we, we're constantly telling our clients to get in touch with your office. And the feedback I get is always not only helpful and prompt, but courteous and, and pleasant to deal with, too. So you guys deserve some accolade for that. Well, you know, I really appreciate that because I tell my staff all the time, they have one of the toughest jobs um, on the planet because they're in public service, but they produce a product nobody wants. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, you want to be a really good public servant, but sometimes we have to say no. Um, but we do understand that sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we don't have all the information, um, you know, that we... Uh, need at the time when we do the reassessment. Um, so we will look at things a second time. We have an internal review procedure. If anyone ever has an issue, call the office. We will look at it, um, you know, uh, a second time. And then if they're still not satisfied, they can file an appeal with the county clerk, and we'll look at it a third time. Um, and if you have any information that we don't have, yeah, we're a mass appraisal business. We have to do a lot of appraisals in a short period of time. So, And we're all human. Yep. And so my staff understands that, and they're more than willing to look at things a second time. And they're very good at explaining things, which can be extremely complex, convoluted, and confusing. Yep. Hey, um, there's another phone call here. I suspect it has to do with you, Tom. So let's see what they have here. Dave from Aurora Grande, good morning. Welcome to the show. 
Good morning. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for being on the show. I've got a question, and full disclosure here, I am a PG&E employee. However, looking at the economic impact study that was done back in June of 13 by the Cal Poly School regarding the Diablo impact and the potential potential for losing the $200 million-plus payroll that we have and the $30 million that we pay in local taxes and $9.2 million that go to county schools, what are we doing to plan for that potential demise of that funding stream? And are you then encouraging our personnel and county residents to to provide support for this vital economic asset that's uh, to our county? Well, I have, I'm, I've always been supportive of Diablo Canyon. I think it's one of the safest um, nuclear power plants in, in the world, and I think there's a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of things in politics are driven by perception, not facts. Uh, and so, um, you know, people react with their heart and with, uh, instead of their head. And Diablo does provide a huge economic impact to the county. And a lot of people forget about how much that school district, um, uh, what benefits they reap from the taxes that, you know, that are generated from from the applicant, just the property taxes itself. Um, so, you know, people really, whenever, uh, and we have a, a, another issue in the South County that's developing with the refinery down there that it also pays uh, quite a bit in property taxes. And there's a lot of misperceptions about what is happening down there. But people, I just urge people out there, you know, make an informed decision. And an informed decision, in my opinion, is one that relies on the person doing their own research, thinking for themselves, not listening to the special interest groups that may have a secondary agenda. Um, and, you know, that would include the advocates for and the advocates against. Do your own research um, before you make any, any decisions and make sure you're making those decisions rationally. Uh, and, and I think that people will see that, you know, Diablo Canyon is... There is definitely an economic boon to this county um, because of it. And, um, you know, again, make their own decision because I don't like telling people how to think. Everyone can think for themselves rationally, but please do your own research. Take the time to do so um, and not just listening to special interest groups. That's awesome. That's what I was telling my friends yesterday about the vaccine talk. <laughs> do, well, absolutely. do some research a and have your of, own a opinion. A lot of emotions are running high on that issue, too. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Dave, thanks for the phone call. Um, Tom, thank you very much for being with us today. We always really appreciate it. And as I'm sure you're aware, but this, this episode gets put on our website in the archive for people to listen to um, for years to come. Um, the information is awesome. We totally appreciate it. And I just want to underline the fact here that we so greatly appreciate your office. And yeah, you guys sell a product that uh, many people don't love, but... I mean, those the very tax assessments are part of what makes our county such a desirable and special place to be. So uh, kudos to you and your staff for doing Absolutely. such a great job. I really appreciate it. Um, and and do not, don't wait uh, a year to invite me back. All right. Yeah, I, it's one of those things where we we kind of just forget about you until it's like, you know, tax time or some somebody calls and asks enough tax questions that we say, you know what, that's a that's a great guess for us. So, yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll put a note down to try to make it a little bit well, more frequent. I know you're thinking of me on April 10th to December 10th. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> you bet. At least two times a year, I had to be thinking about it. <laughs> hey, well, thanks for your willingness to work on a Saturday for us, too. That's pretty cool. Oh, you bet. My pleasure. Hey, uh, maybe we can grab lunch sometime. I know we got to go Dutch so that uh, we don't get caught me trying to influence you for lower taxes or oh, something. Yeah, yeah, for the lunch, you guys, you, guys do, you guys do a lot better than that. <laughs> All right. Thank right you on. very much. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Tom. That's a that's a great segment. I always really enjoy that, um, and and it did not disappoint. No, I, I I learned something new every time Tom's on. I did not know about the parent child exclusion. Well, uh, and how about just the reaffirmation that you can improve part of your property without giving up your whole basis? It's only that improved portion. And I tell people that all the time, and they go, "Are you sure?" I, I wasn't. Think you've a, I got that wrong. I was one of the many who believed that it just got reassessed at the new value of of the entire home. Yeah. So that's good. So if you want to add a bedroom, you know. I didn't know about the foster kid thing. Yeah. They, they've kind of formed a bond with the family and they're kind of part of the family. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I anyway, I encourage any of you guys that have those potential title actions where you're going to go monkey investing, uh, get down there and talk to somebody in Tom's office and make sure you know what you're doing. When your taxes are 200 bucks a month and they are protected that way because of your Prop 13 and you go do something bonehead, um, and we see it, um, Dan can't qualify for a loan because of something going on with his job. You know, he switched industries. And so then he says, you know what? Uh, the wife can do it. So then the wife does it. And then, you know, somehow or other they end up divorced or something and it's got to go back. And all of a sudden, bam, now the taxes are 700 bucks a month. And the problem there is that's forever. Run that math out. I mean, especially I'm saying forever. You confirmed great grandfather to grandfather to father to, you know, to you, to son, to your great grandson, that tax base and that exclusion, um, being able to go from uh, parent to child like that is amazing and if you break that it's you you really can't even calculate how much money that is because it's forever uh, makes such a big deal so um, I just can't stress enough if you're gonna monkey around on title uh, make sure you get an opinion on that before you uh, just go for it um, and guys I want to just remind you all, sometimes we forget the very point of this show. Um, Dan and I own a mortgage company. I'd venture to say one of the better ones in the county, if not the best. And if you guys are looking for any kind of loan help, um, if you need to refi, remodel, uh, buy an investment property, anything, um, give us a call. We're at 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. Check us out on the web. We're centralcoastlending.com. Thanks much again to Tom and the callers today. Appreciate you guys. We'll be back next week with another live episode of Mortgage Matters.